Hey, this is Chad Brown. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com. It's a Reaction Tuesday, presented by Superbook.com. Here's Chad and Nate. Blitz, Homer, picked it up briefly, and Smith flips, wide open caught. Disley, touchdown, what a start. Third down and two. Wilson floats it, there's Judy. Pass caught. Judy still going. Down inside the 20, and touchdown Denver Broncos. 67 yards. Smith, Parkinson, touchdown, Seattle. Fourth down and goal. Morton. This isn't my first game. <laughs> I mean, in the end, it's a football game. In the end, it's about your preparation. Once you prepare the whole week and you feel great about it, then it's you're on autopilot and ready to make adjustments if you need to. From 64, McManus missed it. And the Seahawks are going to win this game. Oh, the drama. Wow, that was a bananas finish. Such a disappointing, shocking way to end a game that the Broncos absolutely could have win, uh, uh, could have won. Made a lot of mistakes. There was a lot of sloppiness there. But in the end, Chad, they chose to forego a fourth and five with a minute left, moving the ball well, three timeouts, Russell Wilson under center, your $49 million man, and instead put it on the right leg, of Brandon McManus from 64 yards, which would have tied an NFL record. And, you know, the way that they operated that, let it tick all the way down, called a timeout, jogged off the field like, hey, this is a chip shot. We got this. High fives on the sideline. Uh, But they missed the kick, and it was a devastating loss for Broncos country. Devastating loss for sure, but uh, the game was lost. You know, so often... Games are more games are lost than are won, and this game was lost by the Denver Broncos. Uh, Seattle put up a valiant effort and did enough things to get the win, but the Broncos lost this game. The two red zone fumbles, the decision to go for the field goal, the what twelve penalties. Uh, there's there's a long long list of things to point at that are very clear why the Broncos lost this ball game. Um, and so your summary there about the decision to go for it kind of encapsulates all the other bad decisions looped into that. What other bad decisions are you talking about? Because, like, there was mistakes, right? 12 penalties, you talked about that. Delay of game penalties, which we could have foreseen because of the the noise. I don't, I don't think it's exclusive of the Broncos to get a couple delay of game penalties at Lucas Field. That was a that was an issue all game long. Oh, it was. I'm, I'm not giving them a pass for that at all. So did you not prepare a silent count? Did, did you not work on that? Did you not have that as part of your game preparation? We're going into what is the loudest stadium in the NFL on field level. There's no place louder than that. And yet you didn't have a silent count prepared. You didn't have a, a yeah, it's just the, the, the lack of preparation. So not necessarily a game decision, but decisions made during the week. As Sun Tzu said, every battle is won or lost before it's fought. And you don't think the Broncos prepared to win? Clearly not. Um, to me, it was the chain of command and the, and the plays were late coming in. It was that part of it, you know, because, oh, I got to call the play here. 
So I got to look at my sheet. All right, here's the play. All right, I'm thinking, all right. And I give it to you in your ear. And he, he's having a hard time hearing it in the huddle. And he's trying to give it to the guys. And they're getting up there. And you got shifts. And you got motions. And then, oh, you got to see my foot lift and all that. But as a defensive player, Chad, when that play clock is starting to tick down, seven, six, five, you know it's coming. You pin your ears back. Not only that, but the crowd gets louder. Yeah. Right? As the play clock ticks down. So, clearly, it was just a lack of cohesion based on not doing it at all. And I know that we talked about uh, the soft practices and no preseason games and things like that. But it really, and a lot of people thought we were just complaining. You know, get off my lawn, these old school football guys. But there's a reason why you practice at full speed. There's a reason why you do all that stuff, isn't there? There is. And uh, it was clear to see that this, you know, Bronco team, which played better in the second half in some ways they did in the first half, could have used, could have used some preseason action. When you lose a game by one point, we talked yesterday about how the NFL is literally a game of inches. And these four or five plays during the course of a ball game are going to make the difference as far as the outcome of the ball game. And when you come on the wrong side of those four or five plays, uh, it makes it easy for us old school, uh, quote unquote, football guys to point the finger at the lack of preseason action uh, and, and point out to these couple of plays, which could have been better had you had some preseason action. Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams. I talked about ball security in week one particularly for Melvin Gordon, and my concern about that. I talked about that during the war room last Thursday. For Melvin Gordon, who has a bit of a fumbling history, to go into this game without having any full-speed tackling done to him, at some point, I was concerned he was going to cough the football up. Guess what? It cropped up. Uh, So those kinds of things, while they maybe weren't game-time decisions, they were decisions that were made that affected the outcome of this game with how you treated this entire preseason process. I want to correct something. I made a mistake there. The uh, the longest field goal ever is 66 yards. Yes, Justin uh, Tucker. Yeah, the Broncos record is 64. What you just said was that they should have prepared to not fumble the ball. All <laughs> right? Yeah. But they got Javante Williams. They got Melvin Gordon. Those are two very good running backs. Clearly, they've been working on not fumbling the ball. Both of them fumbled the ball down there on the goal line. Mm-hmm. How do you – I mean – how do you how do you blame that on lack of preparation? How do I blame that on lack of preparation? Okay, well, uh, let's you see. You don't think they're working on high and tight and getting stripped and you don't think they're doing all that stuff? There is no substitute for playing football to prepare to play football. It's just a, a truism as far as back. You're talking as, about the preseason games. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's 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 no other way to do it. Um, I, I, you know, there's, there's some players who can get away with it. And there's some, clearly some players who, who need a little bit of action out there. I was one of those players who needed action. Uh, when, when I see those kind of issues that cropped up during the ball game, you go, okay, yeah, you could have used a, a couple of series of there. And, and the, the thought of, oh, what are my players to gain if I get them a couple of series? I think there's a lot to be gained. Again, when football games come down to a couple of plays and those couple of plays come down to a couple of inches and the entire ball game comes down to one point yeah a few series in the preseason would have been awesome to get just to get some of those uh kinks worked out in the preseason okay so what do you make of uh of this tweet after the game really pretty much right after the game from uh 
Ray Finkel, I mean Brandon McManus. <laughs> he said, 46-yard line, left hash was my line to get. They got it there. Need to make the kick. That's 64 yards. They got it to the spot where he told them he could make it from. If you're the head coach and your kicker comes and tells you, I got this from 64, how are you going to respond to that in the moment of truth? In the situation last night? Correct. Then are you going to be like, all right, cool. I believe him. He's got this. No, thank you. Thank you, Brandon. We're going to go with our $245 million quarterback here. We're going to go with, go with the guy who we gave up all this draft capital and players for. We're going to go with that guy right here. This is at the very limits of what you can do. Brandon McManus is what, one of eight from 64 yards? Yeah. So one of like eight. That. Yeah. Those odds aren't very good. So I'm going to go with my quarterback here. I'm going to give Russell a run-pass option on this play. If the pass is taken away, I'll count on Russell's legs to get us the first down. I'm going to go with that because that way I've got – the ball in my quote-unquote best player's hand, my franchise player's hands, and I'm giving him the option to take what the defense gives him. Pass is open, complete the pass. Pass is covered, tuck it and run with it. Hey, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to ride with this guy here, not with my kicker who's one of eight from this distance. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack, and we're going to get to it. Um, Pretty emotional game. You can't deny it, though. Very entertaining game. Uh, definitely edge of your seat. Yeah. Yeah. Edge your seat. So it didn't disappoint in that regard. All the buildup, uh, all the drama, um, between Russell and Seattle, it delivered. It was a fantastic game. Broncos caught the short end of it, but it wasn't all bad. There was some silver lining stuff and we're going to get into that next. It's a reaction Tuesday presented by superbook.com. Here's Chad and Nate. Broncos lost a heartbreaker last night, 17-16 in Seattle. Uh, Broncos scored three points in the first quarter, 10 in the second, zero in the third, three in the fourth. Seattle Seahawks scored a touchdown in the first quarter, 10 points in the second quarter, and then nothing, nothing at all in the third and fourth quarter. And the Broncos still couldn't find a way to win. Uh, 0-4 in the red zone. That one really hurts. Those two fumbles. And, uh, man. But that's not what I teased. I teased silver linings. And that's what we're going to talk you about. You did. Here. Yes, because there, there there were a lot of actually really good things that happened. There was a huge question mark around this offense going into the season because we hadn't seen them at all. They had just elected not to play any of their starters in the preseason. Uh, not a lot of practice time. But I thought they moved the ball pretty darn well. Uh, they they threw for, well, over 300 yards. Russell Wilson had 29 completions for 340 yards. That's a lot. I don't think any of us thought he was going to throw for that many yards. No interceptions. Uh, was sacked twice, but two sacks for 10 yards. Not horrible. Um, they ran the ball well, too. They didn't really commit to it, but they ran the ball well. Melvin Gordon had 12 carries for 58 yards, 4.8-yard average. Javante Williams had seven carries, only seven for Javante. I think that's something they'll try to remedy, get him the ball more. But he did have 11 catches, which is pretty insane. Uh, So you you like their commitment to throwing the ball to the running backs. Uh, The screen passes were working. They may have dipped in that well one too many times, but it was working. And then Jerry Judy, Jerry Judy 
has been the product of much consternation over the last couple months. I thought he showed up, at least in the passing game, caught some big passes. That touchdown, that 67-yard touchdown was a phenomenal play. It was underthrown. He made the catch, broke a tackle, outrun the, outran the other guy to the end zone. Corlin Sutton, I thought, looked pretty darn good as well. Andrew Beck, Swiss Army knife. The first two plays of the game, throwing to Andrew Beck. The guy was, uh, well, is very versatile. He's a really good athlete. He can play fullback. He can play tight end. He plays fullback the way Juszczyk plays it, similarly, in San Francisco. So they're able to do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Alberto, I thought, had a pretty good game. And then uh, on the defensive side of the ball, Bradley Chubb showed up. And right after they were talking about how he hasn't had a sack in, you know, two years, he, he had a strip sack, then he had another sack. So um, Randy Gregory had that forced fumble. The defense stiffened up in the second half and allowed zero points. Geno didn't do anything in the second half. Geno looked like Patrick Mahomes in the first half. Uh, he looked like Geno in the second half. And so credit to Ijero Ivero for making the second half adjustments. I thought PS2 handled DK Metcalf pretty well. DK had a couple catches. They were jawing at each other. Whatever, he's going to catch those balls. But but uh, let, let's see, he had seven for 36 yards. You can live with that. Yeah. You can live with that. They didn't really gash you except for those tight ends. But uh, what are your silver linings? Uh, I would go with, with a lot of the same points that you had. 340 yards passing is nothing just to dismiss. Um, uh, Russell Wilson, I think it took him a, a little bit to get going. And some of those plays were off of broken plays. The big play to Jerry Judy was a, a broken play. Um, but at the same time, you, you made the plays. Uh, you got the yards. There's something to be said there. Javante Williams is going to be a problem for defenses. The way this dude embraces contact and how physical he is. Um, that Each time he had the ball last night, I was like, he, he's just... He's going to break tackles. He's going to force defenders into making business decisions. Uh, you mentioned those 11 catches from Javante. That is going to be a weapon to use. Uh, maybe not a weapon as far as first or second quarter. But if you're constantly asking cornerbacks to come up and tackle him in space, eventually those dudes are going to make business decisions. Those dudes are going to be uh, a little less aggressive coming upfield to make those tackles, and Javante is going to break a couple of those. So uh, that is something, I think, to be leaned upon again. Uh, both he and Melvin were more than efficient in the run game. To your point, I would have liked to have seen more runs, only 19 runs between the two of them. Um, some Jerry, The emergence of Jerry Judy, the touchdown for him, get him off the snide of last year. That was nice as well. Um, yeah, so there's a number of nice things to talk about offensively and defensively. Uh, Alex Singleton, um, I thought, was definitely active. You know, I, I wasn't a Hall of Fame linebacker play, but he was active with nine total tackles. Uh, Bradley Chubb, you know, slow first half, comes and puts it together in the second half. Once Seattle decides to start dropping back a little bit more, he gets those two sacks uh, and gets to the, those two TFLs as well. DJ Jones was stout in the middle of that defense. So those are a number of standouts here or there. Um, but unfortunately, you know, when you lose the game, um, there's a lot far more things to point out that are wrong. So as we, you know, bright side this thing. Um, we're going to bright side it for another five minutes. Then we're going to go all the other side. <laughs> all right, we're going we're gonna to bright side this segment. But, th- but that's what football is. So when people listen and they're like, oh, you guys are so negative, it's very – it's very indicative of what it's like as a professional football player. You play a game, even when you win it, 
You play a game, you go in, and you clean up mistakes. They don't mm-hmm. tell you about how great you are. They don't tell you about all the things you did well. They tell you about the things you need to fix. They tell you about the things you didn't do well and the things that you can do better. So we're a couple of ex-football players. Yes, we're going to talk about the silver linings, but we're going to talk about ways that these Broncos can get better because they have to get better than that. Uh, you mentioned it. They 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 controlled this game in a lot of ways, especially in the second half, and they gave it away. Um, Bradley Chubb. Six tackles, four solo tackles, two sacks, two tackles for loss, two quarterback hits. He had that strip sack. What'd you make of Bradley's performance? Uh, I thought in the first half, you know, Bradley's not an all over the field defender. He's not a guy who chases plays down. He's not Michael Parsons, you know, cutting off the uh, the sweep to the outside, chasing it down from the backside. Uh, he's, you know, an edge defender who does a good job setting the edge. He's a, a pass rusher who could take advantage of lesser tackles as he did. Once that game went along, you give a, a pass rusher with the experience of Bradley Chubb going against a rookie, eventually the better rusher is going to just take over. And Bradley Chubb did that there in the second half. So it was nice to him, nice to see him win the battles he is supposed to. I don't expect him to be uh, an all over the field guy. That's not his style of play. It never has been. Um, but I need to see some production in the pass rush game. And that showed up uh, last night, particularly in the second half. What about Randy Gregory? Because he's been a, a – we haven't seen him. We haven't seen him at all. Uh, everyone talks about how talented he is, how how fast, how physical, how violent. He did force a fumble there. That was a big play. He had six tackles. Uh, wait, no, no, he didn't have six tackles. Sorry, I was looking at the wrong guy. One. One tackle. One tackle. <laughs> One tackle. Uh, I imagine he was on a pitch count, though. I don't, I don't. I wasn't counting how much. But you did see Baron Browning in there as well. Yep. Uh, so And Jonathan Cooper. Yep, who had that taunting call. Yep. Did you agree with that call? Yes. You did? Yes. Uh, Even like when it's like, okay, you see it the first time, and then you slow-mo it. And it's like, oh, he's standing over him for so long. No, it's in slow motion. To, uh, I can't, I understand what Jonathan Cooper was doing. As a player, you know, did I stand over somebody and and say some, uh, some words my mother would be proud of? Of course I did. But they've made taunting an emphasis. And they show the players the preseason officiating reel. And they go over all the points of emphasis. And taunting, I've seen this reel this year. I've seen it the last five or six years now that I've been doing media. And and they go over the points of emphasis. And taunting is going to be a point of emphasis. And they show you examples of what you can and cannot do. Celebrate with your friends? Sure. Run down in the end zone and do your stuff with the camera? Have fun with it. Stand over an opponent? That is going to be a flag. But what if you tackle him? You're on top of him. You're standing up. And by the way, the guy he tackled was was doing the get off me with his arm. He was right. he was pushing him with his arm. So he stood up and was like, "Yeah, I just did that. What now?" And then he, then turn, he walked away. Turn and say that to your teammate. You can say the exact same words to your teammate, and you're good. <laughs> you say it to an opponent when you're standing over him. That's taunting. That's just how they're going to officiate this. So I don't love the rule. But the rule is the rule, and it's been in place for a couple of years now. And again, the NFL sends the officials out to every training camp, and they spend an hour of meeting time watching the tape and having discussions. Players can raise their hands and ask questions. Well, what about this and what about that? So you cannot say you were ignorant. You can't say you didn't know. That's the rule, man.
What about the two penalties, one on Bradley Chubb, one on Kareem Jackson, the the rough and the passer on Bradley Chubb, mm-hmm. and the, uh, I don't know, the helmet-to-helmet that they call Kareem Jackson with? Did you agree with those calls? Yes, Kareem Jackson, Kareem Jackson was helmet-to-helmet. That was clear. He didn't even try to use his arms to wrap him up. He no, led. he came with a fl- the flipper arm, yep. you know, whatever that is. He, 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 he came with his forearm and his shoulder, too, didn't he? I'm just I'm I'm I feel like I'm I'm your mom and you're trying to run down a bunch of excuses for me why you got in trouble. It's it's fascinating over well, here. Well, Jimmy ran out of gas and we had to stop and then my phone was dead and then like And that's Stephanie why I'm late for curfew, called. mom. Yeah. Yes. It's it's cracking me up over here. These are the rules, man. Bradley Chubb, you can't hit the there's quarterback an, late. There's a there's a there's a letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Right. Okay, what is hitting a quarterback late? mean how many steps do you have it used Bradley to be was three coming in fast then it was two now it's basically one that was one step yeah now it's basically one so it's less than one because he took one step hit him in the chest boom flag out yep so it's less than one it's i guess it's one issue if you want to get get down to start parsing words but yeah so you can't hit a quarterback you we know this man yeah it's it sucks. It does. It sucks. It does. But again, it's the rule. Right. Everyone knows the rule. You violate the rule, whether the rule is a good rule or a bad rule. We, we agree with it. We disagree with it. It is the rule. And when you violate the rules, Lee with your helmet, uh, Kareem Jackson, when you taunt somebody and stand over him, Jonathan Cooper, and when you hit a quarterback after he's released the ball, you're going to suffer the consequences. And they had 12 penalties. They were undisciplined out there last night. So you got to know the rules. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying that clearly. Well, Nathaniel Hackett and the Broncos did experience their first test last night. And let's be honest, guys, they failed. We're going to get more into it, and we're going to peel it all back next. It's a Reaction Tuesday presented by Superbook.com. Here's Chad and Nate. Yeah, I mean, we didn't execute. Uh, we had a false start. We had a walk-in touchdown, and then we ended up having a false start, uh, which is unacceptable. You can't have penalties there. Um, we had a couple uh, opportunities. I mean, they were there. We just got to capitalize on them, and, and we didn't. And uh, that's what's frustrating in those situations. Incredibly frustrating, Nathaniel. Broncos country was excited about this game, and the Broncos were favored by six and a half points. Hostile environment. The 12s were frothing. The Broncos fans were there trying to trying to compete with that, but you couldn't compete with that. It was it was deafening, and it clearly got to the Broncos, uh, especially down in that red zone. 0 for 4 in the red zone. Two fumbles, two field goals. A lot went wrong down there. And it's kind of crazy, Chad, when you think back about the, think back to the very first mini camp that the Broncos ran. They did they did red zone right off the bat. That was their very first period. This is this is of critical importance to any football team. But Nathaniel Hackett knew that. He's been preparing for this moment. So what does it say, Chad, that they've been working on it, but it didn't come together? Uh, your first practice at mini camp and training training camp, they're not under the fire that like they were last night, where they were in that end of the stadium where it is the loudest. It is the loud stadium anyway. Weren't they pumping in the sound, though? Like, last week and stuff? The, the the white noise? That's a different thing than being in that stadium with that energy. So, Graham Glasgow, on the Javante Williams fumble, thought it was a pass play. It was a pass play called in the huddle. They checked to a run play. So, not only were they behind from the play clock, trying to hurry things up, Russell Wilson is clapping his hands, trying to get the snap executed, but they changed the call down there in the loudest part 
of the stadium. That's why you don't do those kinds of things because one player doesn't get the call. Yeah. It screws everything up because when I first watched it, I was like, whoa, Graham Glasgow got blown up. No, he's starting, set. he's starting to retreat into a pass set, wow. gets knocked into Javante Williams, who now is trying to corral the football. The next Seahawks defender hits him. The ball pops out after that. So it wasn't – I mean, yes, Javante's got to find a way to hold on to the football. No doubt about that. But that is a – in some ways a an error – not understanding the situation on the field, what you were going to be faced with in that area of the field. Yeah, it's loud at the 50-yard line, but it is that much louder down there in that end zone. You got the crowd on both sides, plus the crowd coming at you, all that energy focused at you to be able to change a call in that situation and in a hurry-up situation when the call came in late from the sideline, you gave yourself no shot. So I've been in some pretty loud stadiums before. Um, I played in Seattle once, but it was a preseason game, so it was not loud. But I played in Arrowhead, super-duper loud. I played in the old uh, Indianapolis Dome, and that was very loud. And when it's super loud like that, if, Chad, when I'm standing next to you, I, yes. can't, I can't hear you. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so you put him in shotgun, mm-hmm. and he's behind us by five yards? Yeah. And you think you're going to hear what he's saying? This is what I'm saying. Why were they in shotgun? First of all, and, and, and Stink did a really great job yeah. of breaking down uh, in the last hour of their show why it's stupid to be in shotgun on the goal line mm-hmm. anyway, why it limits your ability to, to run a quarterback sneak, for example. And that's successful 90% of the time if you know what you're doing. It also takes longer to get the ball off. Uh, it's obvious that you're going to – tell me why it's a bad idea as a defensive player for an offense to run shotgun on the one. Okay, first is going to be the, the time. The snap's got to get to the quarterback – the running back is typically to the side of the quarterback. So he's not just taking off downhill. He's got to wait for the quarterback to get the ball. Um, once the quarterback has the ball, then he can, you know, ball handle it and get it to the running back. So there's a delay in this. It gives me much more opportunity to see the lay of the land with how the play is going to go, see the blocking scheme, see which way the running back is, see if that uh, exchange between the quarterback and the running back actually happened. If the quarterback is in shotgun or pistol, there's also no threat of quarterback sneak. So we don't have to occupy the A-gaps. If it's a quarterback sneak, sneak, the defensive tackles and the nose guards have to occupy the A-gap because otherwise the quarterback's just going to dive right in there. So they don't dictate to us about our defensive line formation. We can go with a formation we think is going to be best suited for the, the play overall, not just trying to defend the quarterback sneak first. So there's um, several advantages defensively when an offense comes out in that style of an offensive formation, particularly down there at the goal line, because it begins to eliminate things that they cannot do. Well, you can't quarterback sneak. You can't run a quick hitter to the fullback. There's no fullback on the field. All those kinds of things. And if it is a run play, it's going to take a second or two. Therefore, I don't have to overly commit to the run. I can actually play the pass a little bit quicker than rather than being forced to commit first step to the run. As soon as I see run action, I've got to commit to it. I don't. I've got more time for that process. And the passes they tried down there were not very effective either. Um, Eric Tomlinson had a chance. He, he had a nice catch there, and he couldn't get that little toe in. Uh, you got to drag that foot. Yeah. You got to drag it. Mm-hmm. Stokely talks about the drag all the time. Right. It's just a drag. You know, you want to Toe see- drag swag, as they call it in receiver rooms. <laughs> Do they? 
Don't they? I've never heard toe drag swag. It's a like a, a feature on like Monday Night Football or something. Toe okay. drag swag. Okay. Well, hey, it's something that all young receivers practice. Right. All receiver coaches take you through that. Heck, our punter got you know cut because he's trying to do that in pregame. Exactly. Now he's going. Right. And all we got is Ray Finkel. <laughs> I can do it, Coach. Put me in. I'll kick a sixty-four yarder. I'll make it. I swear. Get me to the forty-six yard line on the left, and that's my line to get. <sighs> You've heard me talk about kickers before. And so you can imagine, I, I've Chad, heard Coach Hackett talk no, about kickers before. No, but you've heard me because we're partners. Uh-huh. So you can imagine my confusion and disappointment when they put it on Brandon McManus to make a 64-yarder in hostile territory with the crowd going absolutely nuts. I don't know if you saw the look on Brandon McManus's face. He did not want to make that. He didn't want to kick that ball. He did not want to do that. He was like, oh, okay, all right, I guess. <laughs> no. Put it in Russell Wilson's hands. Yes. You're moving the ball. It's fourth and five. You have a minute. I understand if it was five seconds left in the game. Yeah. Okay? This is our last shot. Mm-hmm. We either do a Hail Mary or we try for a 64-yarder. Can you make it? Sure, coach. Then go do it, Brandon. But when you have a minute on the clock, you've been cutting them. Two timeouts? Three. Was it, was it was three timeouts. The one they used was the last one on the tw- with twenty seconds left. Okay, they they ended the game with two timeouts. There we go. Okay, they had three timeouts. So, with a decision like that, does his team start to look at Nathaniel Hackett a little differently? <sighs> Some people will. Some people would will. Would you? Would I? Because I would. When, when I, I, w- I would be like, Coach, what are we doing? Because I was very confused watching this game when they were letting it take down. Like, right. what's going on right now? Does your coach owe you an explanation uh, when something like that happens? I, I, I think, yeah, we need an explanation that we can understand and buy. Um, but you, you poo-pooed the fact that this was going to be your first game as an NFL head coach. And you said you weren't nervous, and you've been here many times before. So the dismissal of, uh, you know, first game nerves, first time as a you know head coach, all that stuff. And then the results that we saw, they don't add up together. Um, we, you know, when I asked uh, Coach Fangio about uh, the, the, the COVID year and there was no preseason action that year, and, hey, have you guys done like a mock game to get yourselves prepared uh, because it's going to be like college football. College football, you know, coaches, they don't have a preseason game, so they do a lot of mock games and scrimmages to get themselves prepared from a coaching standpoint. He dis- dismissed my question out of hand. Most of those college teams open up with, you know, uh, Mary's Sister of the Poor, School of the Blind, so, I, you know, I don't see any comparison there. And the one I really Vic don't Angel- give a damn about that. Right, and so what they do in the first game, they had all kind of coaching errors and clock management and timeout errors. Like, this is why you do mock games. This is why you do those scrimmages, those situation scrimmages, where it's not necessarily for the players. It is for the coaches so they can understand what they want to do in all the situations. They can kind of work through all the kinks of that process. So if you're a Bronco player in that locker room and Nathaniel Hackett bragged about, you know, oh, I'm not nervous. I got this. I've been here before. And clearly the lights were maybe a little too bright last night. The situation was a little too big. Yeah, it starts to chip away at my confidence, no doubt. Do you think that decision right there to, to kick the 64-yarder, okay, to let the clock tick down, play clock all the way down to 20 seconds, to call your timeout, trot your guys out there, you're like, he's about to kick a chip shot, we're about to win this thing. Do you think that was a mistake in the moment, 
or a philosophical defect that Coach Hackett is, is, is misjudging the abilities of his team in the moment. Misjudging the abilities of his kicker? Is that what you're saying? Or, or his team as well. Obviously, he didn't think his guys could pick up a first down or else or else you would have, right? Like, like if you if you think your guys can get the first down there, why wouldn't you run a play and give your kicker an easier kick? Like, <sighs> just because he's made 64-yard kicks in practice before doesn't mean he's going to make it there. No, again, uh, you, you've, you've created this scenario that Russell Wilson is the franchise quarterback of this team. He is the, the man. You're giving him all this money. You're giving up all these draft picks and player capital to make it happen. You've claimed you, he, you and him were joined at the hip. You've got such an implicit trust in him. Uh, I know there's different analytics numbers out there, but according to one analytics guy, the win probability with the pass was 36%. The win probability with kicking the 64-yard field goal was 7%. Ooh. So the analytics weren't in your favor either. Um, Definitely not. I, I can't I've yet to hear anyone or read anyone online on any of the you know forums or, or or blogs or whatever who agrees with that decision. I'm curious to hear the press conference because I know Coach Hackett is going to be drilled down about that decision. I want to hear his, his answers. And it's going to come down to: We thought he could make the kick. He told us he could make the kick. We believed he could make the kick. But maybe, maybe you should just trust your instinct in the moment and not listen to the kicker or anybody who tells you what they can do. It's not just the kicker who tells you what he can do. Everybody on the sideline like, Coach, I can do this. Give me the ball. You know, run this thing. Run this. Throw it here. You can't listen to everybody. You have to make your own decision in the moment. And he did it, and he's going to have to live with it. So, Russell Wilson, okay, I thought he played pretty well. But how well did he play? Could he have done some things better? We're going to talk about good old number three next. It's a Reaction Tuesday, presented by Superbook.com. Here's Chad and Nate. No, it, did, it didn't bother me. You know, it was, uh, you know, this is a hostile environment. It's always has been, you know. I didn't expect him to give, give, you know, give a round of applause every once in a while, you know. <laughs> um, you know, so, I, you know, I think that, uh, like I would say, you know, I gave everything I had every day here. Every day. And anybody says anything else, you know, they're completely wrong. Gave everything I had today, so I can, I know that for a fact. So, um, you know, I got, like I said, I have some amazing teammates on, on the other side of that field that I love to death and gave everything I had to them. They gave everything they had to me. And God brought me somewhere else. You know, I'm here, you know, in Denver. I'm excited about it. I'm excited where we're going. And, um, you know, so it was, it, I'm, I'm just grateful. I'm just, I, I give the glory to God because he, he's, he's given me the gift of playing this game. Anyone who thought it was just going to click right away because, because Russell Wilson is a, you know, a Hall of Famer and a Super Bowl champion has done all the great things he's done, uh, was confused because it doesn't just click right away, evidenced by their difficulty in the red zone. Russell Wilson has been a red zone stallion in his career and wasn't able to punch that ball in. 0 for 4 in the red zone. Um, but he did throw for 340 yards. He was 29 and 42. I think that 42 attempts is a little high. Um, yes, definitely. I think uh, probably you want him down near 30, probably. Between 30 and 35 is ideal. But 29 and 42, pretty efficient. Uh, one touchdown, zero picks. He, um, well, he, he had one carry for two yards. I think that's the one area where we'd like to see Russell move a little more. And you got to ask the question, is is he not a declining athlete, but is he changing into a different style of quarterback? 
as evidenced by last year's rushing numbers for him and then the low rushing numbers for him last night, I would say yes, whether that's coach-driven or coach's recognition of Russell's quote-unquote declining athleticism. And it's, it's not meant to be like a diss. You get on the other side of 30, you're just simply not as athletic as you were in your 20s. Um, it's, it's much more a reality fact than a, somehow uh, we are disparaging Russell Wilson. You just get older, and you don't have the same legs that you once had. You know, heck, I played till I was 38. Yeah, 38 was different than 37. 36 was different than 35. It's just how it works when you get older. You're saying at 33 you couldn't go sideline to sideline and chase a running back down and tackle him? I could. So, so what's, At 35, what's, I couldn't. What's Russell's excuse? He's 33. Uh, he ain't Chad Brown. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I'm just saying we're all different. Chad and, Brown. And we all decline at, at different times. You know, Jerry Rice was still getting it done into his early 40s. You know, Tom Brady's still getting it done at 45. But clearly, the the athletic, ath, the athletic, the athlete athletic career arc is once you get on the other other side of 30, things start to decline. Yep, that's how it works for most people. There are going to be superhumans like Tom Brady and Jerry Rice and guys like that, but for the most part, it's a pretty clear equation. You get 30 plus. Yes, you start to lose a, a tenth here. You start to lose a little bit of wiggle there. You start to lose your ability to recover. You're walking down the hallway, and you're still sore on Friday from the last game on Sunday as opposed to younger in your career. By Wednesday, you felt good. This is just how it works as an athlete. So Russell Wilson, I think, is beginning to uh, maybe either the coaches or himself is recognizing that as evidenced by the last two years' rushing numbers. Well, aside from the rushing numbers, the passing stuff, Russell Wilson – the, 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 the book out on Russell Wilson is that there's no quarterback in the NFL that throws the deep ball better. Mm-hmm. Russell Wilson is a deep ball thrower. That's what he does. He underthrew a lot of guys yep. last night. He underthrew a lot of guys in camp. Yep. We saw that happen a lot. What, what accounts for that? Is it a lack of timing, or is that part of what you're talking about, getting older and just not having the arm? I Hopefully it's timing. Because timing can be fixed. Timing can be addressed with reps. I sincerely hope it's timing. Because if it's if this is a guy who feels fully up to speed with the speed of Jerry Judy, yet underthrows him. The speed of K.J. Hamler during camp, and yet underthrows him. Cortland Sutton underthrows him. All those kinds of things. Then now it's, a, it's an arm strength issue, which is not just pure arm strength. The legs are involved in that as well. Um, if we are in the place where this quarterback's the skills are declining, where he can't throw a deep ball on time and accurate, then this $245 million extension doesn't kick in for two years. You've just wasted a ton of money. So I sincerely, sincerely hope it's just a timing thing that some more reps, game reps, get this gets this ironed out because that is not going to be a path to success. That is low percentage football. If you throw the ball up on deep balls and you're just hoping that your receiver is able to outcompete over a rookie cornerback, which happened last night with that big play to Jerry Judy. That rookie cornerback, week eight, he probably makes that play. But week one, he did the thing that rookie cornerbacks do. They turn to Frankenstein when the ball's near. Oh, my gosh. And they get all stiff and they, <laughs> and they lose their footing. And they have no idea what's happening. That's what happened there. But by week eight, that rookie cornerback's going to have that ironed out. But isn't Jerry Judy going to be better on week eight? He should be. He should be. But that, that wasn't that difficult of a defensive play if that rookie doesn't panic in the moment. Jerry Judy didn't go out and, like, you know, catch the ball at its highest point. Out he jumped him. and then just caught it in his body. Yeah. Yep. So it wasn't like some great play by Jerry Judy. It was a underthrown ball, 
It wasn't a great play by Jerry Judy. It just happened to be against a rookie cornerback in his first ever NFL start who's going to be better as time goes along. So to think you're going to be able to do that against some of the better defenses in the league, again, that is low percentage football. We want to play high percentage football. Yeah, Russell had a couple throws that might have been intercepted, uh, should have been intercepted. That one in the end zone, he threw a deep ball, and I think Corliss Sutton inside of him. And uh, that safety went right, right through his hands. You know, when you throw a deep ball, you want to put it outside. And I think one of the concerning things for him, Concerning things for me watching Russell Wilson's deep ball last night was that a lot of them were just he was he wasn't getting them outside near the boundary he, he was throwing that ball inside and the receiver has no chance I mean a guy like Cortland Sutton he's a big physical receiver throw the ball high and outside let him go get it and he wasn't doing that so that's a little bit of cause for, for concern and I hope this week those guys stay after practice and just run go routes just run go routes you know just uncork the cannon but it's possible that he's getting older, and his arm can't handle that much work during the week. So hopefully they can get that part of it figured out. Um, I will say this, though. I thought the receivers did a good job giving themselves some space because you run those deep routes. You don't want to run down the sideline because then you give yourself no room if the quarterback throws it over your outside shoulder well, that's to catch right. the ball inbounds. Right. So the receivers ran the route. Oh, I'm not blaming this on the receivers. I, I know you're yeah, not. Yeah. But I just want to point out, the, the yeah. you know, Coach Azani, which we and I have had some criticism for, yeah. got those guys running the route to give themselves some space to be able to fade out to the sideline and catch it. They they can't be blamed if the quarterback underthrows the football, doesn't throw it over the right shoulder. They would have been far more successful with further throws deeper down the field and that faded over the outside shoulder to create that space that that receiver needs. Yeah, and it took them it took them a while to to throw a pass to a receiver. You know the the uh, Joe Buck and uh, Troy Aikman were talking about that. They hadn't he hadn't thrown to a receiver up until what the second half almost or, or at the beginning of the second half was it or yeah, but second quarter. Why did you get away from Andrew Beck? Why did you get away yeah. from that? They clearly the Seahawks were not ready for that, and then Andrew Beck like dis- disappears off the field. Yeah, he wasn't even like on the field anymore. Why did you change the script away from that? What which was so successful, and they clearly had no answers for. Yeah, Andrew Beck was you know he caught two passes for fifty two yards, um, a really nice one handed catch down the sideline. Yep. Very nice. athletic. Mm-hmm. He can stretch the field vertically, and he's also really good in the backfield as a lead blocker. You saw him leading the way for. Javante and Melvin several times, and it really worked out. It is a, it's a good question why they strayed away from that. Offensive coaches do that sometimes. Yeah. They have so much in their heads, right? They have all this stuff they want to do, all these different personnel groups and things they want to try. they got guys in their ears telling them to do this, telling them to do that. It, it really takes a steely mind to just focus on what's working. Just do what's working until they stop it. The two back plays were early enough in the game where they were part of the script. Right. So you thought this play was so good enough, I'm going to put it in my first 15 script. But then after that, no, I'm good. No, go back to it. They can't stop it. Hit them with the same punch. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot, there is a lot to unpack. Um, we are going to keep on unpacking. And um, we're going to do distractions next. And Chad is going to enlighten us about an element of the game you guys weren't even thinking about. That's next. Hey, this is Nate Jackson. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com.